Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Father God, thank you so much for the reminder of who you are. Lord, and as we sang that last song, it is well, Lord, even through. In, and for many people, the, the storm is not over. The rains and the winds have stopped, but the storm of their life goes on, Lord. But you are there in the midst of it, uh, in the quiet voices, in the hands and the feet of those who come to serve. Lord, you are there. I pray that you would use this storm to draw many people to you, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to gather together, to study your word, to worship you, to sing praises to you, and to pray. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Third John. We're going to cover a whole book of the Bible today. And it's only 15 verses. In fact, Third John is the shortest book in the New Testament. Like, not number of verses. Second John has fewer verses. But Third John has fewer words. Shortest book in the Bible. So it should be the shortest sermon I give, right? Mm. Don't count on it. <clears throat> I do love these books. Um, I have really enjoyed going through First, Second, and Third John because they just don't get covered that often. We're going to do the book of Jude next week because, again, it just is one of those books that gets kind of overlooked. So I'm excited about looking at that. But Third John, um, uh, again, it's a, it's a short book. It fit pr probably on one page when they, when they were able to write it. Um, and, uh, again, it's the same author as First John, Second John, the Gospel of John, the book of Revelations, I believe, happens to be the Apostle John. And here, again, like in the second letter, he identifies himself as the elder, um, and, and last time we met, a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at this passage, we talked about the idea that I don't actually believe that John was claiming some kind of an office in the church. The elder is kind of a church uh, position, you know, pastor and elder and deacons and things. Um, but I think that if John were to identify himself as an officer or as a position in the church, he would say, John, last remaining living apostle of Jesus Christ. I think he uses the word elder because he's old. John is old at this point. He's like 90, okay? 90 years old. So he says, the elder, John. Do you know, maybe you don't realize this, but did you know that the average lifespan at this time in the church was 35 to 40 years old? 35 to 40 years old. How many of you would be here right now? You too. <laughs> That's it. You'd have to carry on. <laughs> oh, and Ethan. Yeah. <laughs> So the average lifespan was 35 to 40, but here's John. He's in his 90s. So is he an elder? Of course he's an elder. But when I think about that, I think, man, God was not done with John. See, John outlived all the other apostles. In fact, John probably should have been dead also. It wasn't for the lack of trying. Emperor Domitian tried to kill him by boiling him in oil in front of everybody. But God was like, no, no, I'm not done with John. I'm just, we're just going to take him out of the oil, and he's not going to be dead. 
He's going to live. Um, God was not done with John. You realize that John didn't actually write these letters or the book of Revelation until after his banishment to the island of Patmos. God was not done with the work that he had for John because man does not determine that. God determines that. Man's attempt to silence God will always fail. God determines the number of our days. David wrote this in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet they were not, there, there were none of them. David says, God, you saw me before I was even unformed and determined all of my days. But this verse I love, Isaiah 46.10. God says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, God says. Every attempt that man will make to silence God will fail. God says, Every plan I have made will come to pass. And if it means that, I, that God is going to spare your life until he is done with you, then it doesn't matter what comes along. They put John in boiling oil, and he came out of it alive. How is that possible? It's not possible, but God. God was not done. So sometimes it feels dark and evil around us. Sometimes it's scary and it's overwhelming and you start to feel like maybe God is losing a little bit of ground. But be encouraged. Remember, Jesus asked his disciples at one time, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist and some say Jeremiah and some say some other prophet. And then he said, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, <laughs> I forget his name. <laughs> Peter, God has revealed this to you. He says, on that information, on that truth, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that I will build my church. And you know what he says? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says, my plans will come to pass, no matter the schemes of man. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Doesn't he? So he say that? I have overcome the world. To him... It's already done. To Jesus, from his perspective, it's already done. So we can rest. We can rest. John the Elder. He writes this letter to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. This Remember last time we said that uh, the letter that he was writing to the elect lady, I, I believe it happened to be code to a, a church that he didn't want to necessarily identify so they wouldn't get in trouble. I actually do believe that this letter is written to Gaius, the person. Now, there are um, 
Three other times the name Gaius is mentioned in the New Testament. You can find it in Acts and 1 Corinthians. And you can read through those and you can see how maybe they're connected and possibly they're the same people. And many people debate on whether that all the Gaiuses were the same Gaius and this one is the same as that one or those two are connected or whatever it is. But really what it comes down to is that there isn't any real reason to suppose or believe that they're all the same guy. In fact, the name Gaius was very common at this time, like Jeff or Steve. We have like six of those in this body alone. Gaius was a very common name. But I think that God chose that name for a, a, a pretty cool reason. See, John's going to commend Gaius for his Christian hospitality. That's what we're going to see. Um, by choosing the name Gaius, a common name, Jeff or Steve, could be anyone. In fact, should be everyone. You get it? Using a common name allowed us to look at this and say, oh, that could be me. Could be anybody. Well, pastor, hospitality is not my gift. That's not my gift. As if you're somehow off the hook from exhibiting Christian hospitality. That's not my gift. I'm more of a wisdom guy. <laughs> you know hospitality isn't really a gift. It's not lifted as a gift. In fact, in Peter 4, 9, I think, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So what, hospitality is not your gift? Make it your gift. It's your gift now. Hospitality is your gift. And do it without grumbling. And he's going to commend Gaius, who does it so beautifully. And he's going to say, you know what, man, you have a good reputation. Everybody speaks so highly of you because of the kind of hospitality that you show those who come. And you know what, Gaius, all of you, you're all Gaius. Hospitality is your gift now. I just gifted you it. Now it's your gift. Like it or not. Too bad. He addresses me, says, to the beloved Gaius. Beloved means a, um, divine love having experienced Christ. So he's identifying Gaius, saying, Gaius, you are the one. You've experienced the love of Christ. You're beloved. You know why Gaius is able to show such beautiful Christian hospitality? Because he has the Spirit of God living inside of him. And it's so filling him, so filling him up. He's so full of it that it overflows and spills out to those around him through this beautiful hospitality that he is showing those who are coming to them. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. This right here, I want you to be very clear on, is simply a common greeting in letters at this time. In fact, thousands of manuscripts were found with this exact greeting. It is if we were to write to one another, and I often do this if you get a text from me or something, it usually says, hi, hope you're well. I hope you're well. Common greeting. That is not a verse that says, you are promised as a Christian to prosper and have perfect health at all times. But sadly, that is taught in some churches. 
Some churches will teach that as a believer, you are supposed to be healthy all the time and prosperous all the time. And if you're not both of those, then you do not have enough faith. That's not what that says. That's not even a biblical concept. How do I know? You think of anybody in the Bible who maybe wasn't perfectly healthy or perfectly wealthy that maybe we would say they had faith? How about Paul, for example? Would you ever look at Paul and say, that guy didn't have enough faith? Three times Paul went to God and said, Lord, could you please remove this thorn from my flesh? And what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient, Paul. He says, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. We would say, Paul, you just don't have enough faith. Because if you did, you'd be healed and perfectly healthy. This is a greeting simply. Hey, hope you're doing well. In fact, it was so common that they often wouldn't even bother writing out the whole greeting. They would find manuscripts that just had the whole thing abbreviated by the first letter of each word. It's like when we say, hey, can you bring that thing by ASAP? What's that stand for? As soon as possible, right? As soon as possible. When someone sends you an invitation at the bottom, it says RSVP. What does that mean? Receives you for your boot. It's like... If it's French, it means please reply. <laughs> but it's just an abbreviation. It's, and, and, and they oftentimes would take this greeting and just abbreviate it down to letters because this was just a common greeting. They would say, well, I, uh, may you prosper in all the things and be health, and, and health just as your soul prospers. There's a kind of a part of this that says, like, you could kind of look at this as a little bit of a, a challenge as well. Like John is almost saying to him, hey, I hope you're physically as healthy as your soul is healthy. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, I'm sure Gase is like, yes, I'm good. But I mean, how many of us would like, if we had to come in here on our physical health reflecting our spiritual health, I wonder if we would come in here like really healthy or like on crutches, you know? And they're like, well, <laughs> I, I could be, I guess I could be healthier <laughs> in that regard. He says in verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. You see, there, Gaius has a good testimony. People would come back to John and they say, Oh, man, I met your friend Gaius. Oh, he was so great. He treated us so well. He made up our room. He brought us food. It was, he was just so loving and kind and welcoming. And what a great man of God that guy Gaius is. And he says, that he says to him, you are walking in the truth. You remember how we talked about that idea of the word walk there means like forward motion? Like you, you can't sit a marathon, right? No one says, guess how many miles I stood today? That, that doesn't work. You have to walk. It means forward because you're like going forward. Now think about it like this, because this is kind of a, an illustration that the Lord gave me over the weekend was this idea of um, walking with the Lord, you know, and I always picture me just holding Jesus's hand. I, maybe that's just me, but it's like, and, and he's tall. So, you know, and I'm just walking with Jesus like this. And, and as I'm walking along with Jesus and holding his hand, we could talk to one another. I can sense his presence. We're close. Our relationship is tight right here, right? But if I stop walking and Jesus just keeps walking because that's what he would do, all of a sudden there's a divide that starts to grow between us, right? Now I'm not going anywhere, but he keeps going. And it's, it's our, our fellowship now becomes hindered, right? We're no longer as close. 
close. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all of a sudden, like, he walks away and I'm not saved anymore. I'm saved by grace. When I asked for forgiveness of my sins because I was a sinner, he said, I forgive you, and I'm saved, and I belong to him because he died for my sins on the cross. That's the gospel message, that Jesus went to the cross and he died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. If, if I stop walking, though, and Jesus starts to walk away, I've not lost my salvation, but my fellowship with the Lord becomes hindered because as he gets, let's say he's on the other side of the courtyard and he's still talking to me, how well can I hear what it is that he's saying? I can't even hear his voice anymore. I can't sense his presence. I don't have his touch anymore. So what I got to, I got to keep walking. And that's what he's saying to Gaius. You keep walking in the truth and it's commendable and it's a good thing. Keep walking. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Now, this is the only kind of hint that we have that maybe Gaius, this man Gaius, is, a, is someone who John led to the Lord, who introduced to Jesus and got saved because of, of John telling him about it, because he calls him, he, he refers to him as uh, one of his children. He says, nothing gives me greater joy than to see one of my children walking in truth. And you know what? I know a little bit of what that feels like because I have children, and as we kind of lead them to be introduced to Jesus, like, I can't save my kids. You can't save your children. I can't do that. I can't save anybody. That's God's job. But I can lead people to introduce them to Jesus. Now, when I see my children following along, reading their Bibles or praying or doing something, it gives me so much joy to see that. I'll give you an example. And she's not here, so she won't be embarrassed. Somebody sent a picture to me of my daughter showing someone who isn't a believer how to find something in her Bible. And she did not know that that picture was being taken. And I just looked at that and I was like, oh, I can't tell you how happy, how full that made me feel that my daughter was showing somebody else how to find something in her Bible. And I thought, man. But on the other side of that coin, you know, nothing breaks your heart more than to see one of your children stray away. And I think John would say the same here. Here he's saying, nothing gives me greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I concur. Nothing gives me greater joy than to see my children. And you know what? That extends beyond, like as a pastor, and you, know, um, and you all as well, as you are ministering to somebody, as you're pouring into somebody, and you see them begin to grow in their understanding and their relationship with Jesus Christ, what joy that brings to your heart. But if that person goes off into another way, and you think, oh, what's happening? What's happening? What do we do? You know, maybe you're, you know, this is what I do. I say, what did I not say? What did I do wrong? That's not on you. That is not on me. You did what you were called to do, and you led that person to an introduction to Jesus Christ, and now they need to grow in that. And you can help them, but it's not your fault. And don't get caught underneath the condemnation. That's where the devil wants you. The devil wants you to do that so you won't do it again, so that you won't say, well, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to tell anybody else about Jesus because that didn't go well. That's where the devil wants you. 
He says in verse 5, Beloved, do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. We've heard this before, haven't we? Whatever you do, do it as if unto the Lord. You know what that means? Whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it for Jesus. Are you a waiter? Are you a, a school teacher, a fireman? Are you retired? Are you uh, whatever? Your job is do it as if you are doing it for Jesus. When you walk up to the table to take someone's order and they're ordering baby back ribs, Jesus is ordering baby back ribs. And you're like, you know what? That's an amazing choice. I'm going to go and get that right now. I wonder if Jesus is a good tipper. <laughs> Maybe he just says, nothing now, but just wait. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And he says, beloved, do faithfully whatever you do. Do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. See, when, when people came back to, to John and they said, oh, we met your friend Gaius, and they had such great things to say about Gaius and his character and how he treated them. And as I read that, I was like, oh, man, what if somebody, what if you met somebody that I know, what would they say about me to you? What is my witness? What would they say? If I met somebody that you knew, what would they say about you? What is your like silent witness of character? What would they say? Is it, I mean, would, would I recognize the person that they're describing if I know you here, but maybe you're different as soon as you leave this place and I met somebody that knew you and you're like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Oh yeah, I know her. You know, you should see her on Friday night. And, and, and would you be the same person? Would you have this, a good reputation? Gaius had a great reputation for those who met him. Oh, he was a consistent person who walked in the truth. Is that who you are? That's who I want to be. Do you want that? I do. If you send them forward, he says, uh, they've borne witness. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. You see, at this time, itinerant preachers and, and disciples would go out to the different areas to go to these different small churches around. And at the time, you know, there weren't like places for them to stay. There weren't hotels. There was no like, you know, courtyard or or. I'm blanking on every single name of every hotel ever. All of those. Howard Johnson's, that's the one that was going to my mind. Does that even exist anymore? I don't know. They didn't have these places. They had like inns. And we've talked about this type of inn, you know, when we talk about the, the Christmas story, right? Where Joseph and Mary, you know, there was no room in the inn. And the fact that the inn at the time was what's, what's called like a caravansary. And it was kind of like an open courtyard that people could put their animals in and, and then stay. But traditionally, they were you know, like dirty, rat infested, and oftentimes also places of um, 
like prostitution and, and just bad and no place that uh, a person of God, especially a preacher, would want to stay at. And so they relied on the hospitality of people at the church where they would go um, and maybe they would have a letter, as we're going to see, this is part of what Paul or John is writing. They would have a letter saying, hey, this, this is a good guy. You know, he's a good uh, brother in the Lord. Um, please show him hospitality. And then you would say, oh, yes, come and stay in, in my house. And here's a bed um, with sheets and everything. And here's some food. And you know what? I even washed those sheets for you before you came. You know, and it's like, uh, I, asked, I asked somebody the other day, I said, what if Jesus was coming to stay at your house? And he'd be like, I give him my bed. And I was like, that's, the, that's a great attitude. And be like, you know what? Here, you know, here's my bed. I'll sleep on the couch. <laughs> we just have our daughter sleep on the couch. That's what we do. I was, we, give our, we give her room away and have her sleep on the couch. It's easier that way. <laughs> but he says that uh, the, the, they would come and they would need a place to stay. And you know what? You have to understand that it wasn't always convenient for them. It wasn't always easy for them. Is it always easy if someone says, hey, can I come and stay at your house? And you're like, it's, it's, <laughs> that was too quick. <laughs> no, it, I, yeah, Patty, don't take any of this personal. I'm just, uh, honestly. Patty stayed at our house last night, so I just rewrote the whole sermon just for that. <laughs> no, it wasn't always convenient. It wasn't always easy. Maybe it didn't always coincide with the plans that they already had, but guess what? They did it anyway. Gaius did it anyway, no matter what, and he's commended by it. And it's like, you know what? I often quote this verse that says that there is no better love than to lay down your life for a friend. And I think, yes, that means your life, but I also think that means your plans. If someone, you know, if someone says, hey, I'm coming through and I really need a place to stay, especially now, right? Especially now. If someone says, well, I just need a couple of days someplace on a bed that's not my floor, you're like, you know, that doesn't really fit with my plans right now. But you know what? Come on in. And let me feed you. And, and do you need clothes? And do you need anything else? And this is the kind of hospitality that Gaius was being commended for. As in verse 8 is really cool. He says, Wherefore, uh, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. You see what that says? It's really cool. Because he's saying, you know, in doing that, you are partakers in their ministry. You're partakers in their ministry. Now, you may not be able to be a missionary who goes overseas and be like, that's not what God has called me to do. And maybe he hasn't. But can you support a missionary who goes overseas? Can you find a way to be supportive of someone who's in a ministry that you care about, but you can't necessarily partake in? Patty here is on her way up to Fort Myers to be a chap, to be a... Uh, uh, yeah, to pray with people who are um, in Fort Myers and who need prayer and need help. And, and she's going through, Deirdre and I aren't going up there, but the Bible says that in housing and showing hospitality to Patty, that we are partakers in that ministry. That's the only reason we did it. Sorry. No. <laughs> Do you know when a, Super Bowl, when a football team wins the Super Bowl, they get a ring, right? 
The, all the players get a Super Bowl ring. Did you not know that? In case you didn't know, that's what they, that's, that's, you know, they get a trophy, but every member of the team gets a Super Bowl ring. Did you know that it's not just the players that get a ring? The executives get a ring, the coaches get a ring. Guess who else gets a ring? The practice squad gets a ring. Do you know, how many of you know the practice squad players? Any of them? Any of them, anybody? You don't know them because they're not out front. They're not the ones playing the game on TV. They're not the ones getting all of the glory. But guess what? They're partakers in the team so that when their team wins the Super Bowl, they get a Super Bowl ring. It's the same idea. You can be part of a ministry that you don't actually go out and do, but you're part of it because you're helping those who do. That's what he's talking about right here. So you sit there and think, well, I don't do anything. I'm not a part of any ministry. I don't have any place to house anybody. I don't know how to cook. Uh, I can't sing. I don't know how that helps. But what can you, can, what can you do? You can pray. You can pray. In fact... So often we are like, well, I can't do anything, but at least I can pray. Like it's the, the smallest thing, the least thing that we can do. But it is the greatest thing that we can do is to pray. It so often gets relegated to the last option because I can't do anything. I guess I can pray. Well, how about pray first and then see what happens? Pray first. Okay. Verse 9. If you're looking for a perfect church, good luck. Because wherever there are people, there are problems. In fact, if you thought this was the perfect church and you were going to go here, the moment you walked in, it's no longer a perfect church. Because people are imperfect. Wherever there are people, there are problems. This next section is an example of a first century church with a problem. A first century church. I hear very often people is like, I wish we were more like the first century church. Like there's some kind of romantic idea that the first century church was perfect all the time and everything was working out great. And what we see right here is that is not true. The first century church had problems because there were people there. This guy that we're going to talk about, Diotrephes, right? He was, I believe, the leader of this church that, John, that Gaius goes to, that John is writing to Gaius to, about Diotrephes. And I think that this guy was the leader of the church, but for all of the wrong reasons. Because we're going to see that he's going to say, this guy, Diotrephes, he loves the preeminence. He loves the position. He has power and authority, and he flaunts it, and he uh, um, uses it wrongly. I don't know how this guy became the leader of this church. I don't know if he was like this at the beginning or if he was a good guy and it just kind of went to his head, or if he was the kind of guy that was like, I should be the leader of a church. I'm feeling it was more like that. All this is just my opinion at this point. I, I remember as, um, as I was kind of coming up in Calvary Chapel, you know, you do a lot of listening to, you know, teachings from Chuck Smith, who was kind of like the, the founder of Calvary Chapel. Um, he started in the 70s, and oftentimes he would get these young guys who were really excited, and they would come to him and be like, Chuck! I want to lead something. I want to lead something. Let me be like a pastor with you. And he would say, all right. 
here's a brush, go clean the bathroom. That's true. He would say, go clean the bathroom. Because Chuck believed that to be a leader, you needed to be a servant. In fact, the word minister means servant. If someone who says, I should be a leader, probably shouldn't be a leader, at least in the church. Diotrephes apparently wanted to be a leader because he wanted the power. He liked the power and the authority, not for the opportunity to be the servant of all. That's what we're looking at here. Verse 9, he goes, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves the preeminence among them, does not receive us. In fact, what John is saying is, look, before this letter, I actually wrote a letter to the church. But Diotrephes got a hold of it, and he doesn't want us to be involved with what he's got going on in there, so he kind of like ditched the letter. So this actually might be considered 4th John. <laughs> Because 3 John, I think, got written and destroyed before anybody got to read it. Don't change that in your Bible, though. Just leave, leave it 3 John. That's, that's fine. He says that this guy, Diotrephes, loves to have the preeminence. He loves to have uh, among, the, um, among them and does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does pratting against us with malicious words. So John says, if I come there, and I think he was trying to say, uh, I'm planning to come, and when I get there, I'm going to talk to this guy myself. And I'm going to um, jog his memory, is kind of what he's saying. I'm going to remind him of the things that he did and said, because he's saying that he pratted against us with malicious words. That means that he was saying things about John and the, the people that John was sending that weren't true in order to convince everybody else we shouldn't receive them in here. We don't want them here. We don't want them coming and talking to the people. Um, just me. It should be just me, and just listen to what I say. And he says, and not content, with, not content with that. That wasn't enough, right? It says that he himself does not receive the brethren, so he doesn't receive anybody into his church at all or into his home at all. And he says, and forbids those who wish to, who wish to putting them out of the church. And so that would be like, um, people would come to other people in the church and say, hey, we're going to be coming through. Can we stay at your house? And Diotrephes would say, if you let them stay at your house, then you're out of the church. That's what he was saying. He was saying, I'm not, I don't want anybody coming that's going to maybe challenge me, who is going to try and take over. Um, I want the power. I want the authority. And if you even allow someone to stay at your house and feed them or give them any hospitality at all, you're out. That's who Diotrephes was. So John says, beloved, when he's talking to Gaius, do not imitate what is evil. What is evil? What Diotrephes is doing is evil. Do you see that? He says, this is what Diotrephes is doing. He loves the preeminence. He doesn't receive us. And anybody who tries to receive us, he kicks them out. Don't imitate that, he says. But... What is good? He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. What diatrophies, I literally had to write that phonetically right here. Diatrophies. What he was doing, evil. He says, don't imitate that, but imitate what is good. And now guess what he's going to do? He's going to tell him what the good is. 
He's going to say in this letter, Demetrius has a good testimony from all. So he's saying, look, you've got this guy sitting there right now, and he's, you know, um, he's loving the preeminence and the authority and the power that he has, um, and that's not good. I'm sending you Demetrius. He has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. He says, I'm sending someone good, and you can trust me. I'm telling you he's good. You can trust me. You know what I speak of. Then he says in verse 13, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. I mean, the last time we talked about it, it kind of ended the same way, where it's like uh, writing the letter to the elect lady to the church, and he says, well, I have some other things that I want to say, but I really don't want to just write them down. I want to come and talk to you face to face. And who doesn't love that? I guess some don't. <laughs> I mean, we live in a, in a culture right now that has drawn away from face-to-face -face communication, made it so easy to communicate without having to talk to anybody or interact with anybody ever. <laughs> and uh, I remember years ago, there was this movie called The Net with Sandra Bullock. Do you guys ever see that? Man, the computer technology that was so silly. But then, at the time, you're like, that's amazing. She can order a pizza online. <laughs> I was like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Movie magic. <laughs> now you can live your entire life without talking to another person face to face. That's kind of sad. That's sad. In fact, um, and see, and I do believe that there is technology that has increased our communication. In fact, I do like to email and text. Um, but somewhere along the line, we realized that email and text did not allow us to convey emotion. In fact, what happened was that a lot of emotion was misread into, it was like you would write something and accidentally hit, you know, have you ever been typing and you hit the caps lock instead of the A, and then everything else you write is capital letters, like you're shouting at the person? Well, they call them shouty caps. And then they write you back, like, why are you mad at me? And you're like, I I'm not mad. Why, why would you think it? Because you've, you know, they've misunderstood the emotion that was conveyed. And so in order to help us convey emotion, they created emojis. <laughs> so you could write something and say, oh, I'm not sure if I'm expressing this in text enough. And you put like three happy faces, a rainbow, and a unicorn. <laughs> or a sad face like this. Because then there's not going to be any mistake that I meant this to be like, I'm sad about this. <laughs> That's so that we don't have to talk face to face. But John is like, look, I have other things to say, but I really, I want to say them face to face. So I'm going to save those things until I'm there. You know, um, I, this is just a, a little thing for you to take away, okay, if you're texting um, Cesar and Deirdre and Jeanette and I sometimes talk about this idea. When I write text, I try to say, hello, or good morning, how are you doing? And then I get into, when you're on your way, could you grab creamer? Because I had to throw it all out because we didn't have power for four days. <laughs> um, try to prevent yourself from just going into a text and going right into whatever it is you want. Just being like, get creamer, right? Let's go with the, hey. How are you? Hey, good morning. Hello. Right? I mean, is that too much to ask? I mean, to help the communication along a little bit? And then put an emoji at the end. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so he ends this letter and he says this. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Um, greet the friends by name. Even though this is a letter about conflict, in part, anyway, John sends them a reminder of peace. Did you know that as a Christian, you can have peace even in a conflict? In fact, we're called to it. And Colossians 3, I love the book of Colossians. I'm going to read this to you. Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3. Listen, he says, um, Put on tender mercies. This is a 12, 13, 14, 15. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this time again this morning to be able to come together. Lord, to open up your word and to hear your word speak to us this morning. I, do, I feel the embrace of, of, um, of Jesus this morning here, so thank you. Lord, I pray that as there are just so, so many who are trying to find their way through the aftermath of the storm that has passed, Lord, that again, that you would use this as an opportunity to draw people in. Lord, help them to see that they need, that they have no community, but that they need it, Lord, and that community is found right in the body of Christ. Lord, help us to use these opportunities to show that to people. Lord, help us to express that as we have been shown and received the unconditional love of God, that's why we're out there, Lord. Not because we get credit, Lord, not because it checks a box, but because as we have been loved, so we too also love. Lord, thank you so much. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Thank you.